You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Locked On Vikings podcast. As always, I'm your host, your pal in the Katie Copy Dauphin math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. You can send the show an email at lockedonvikingspodcast at gmail.com. And of course, you can always join the Discord community. Or uh, if you ever have any Twitter Tuesday questions, that was yesterday's episode. You can always leave them in the Google form, which is also linked below. Today is not going to be. A pleasant conversation. Today we're going to talk about offensive line, and I really want to take a structural look at what's wrong with the Vikings and offensive line. Obviously, this has been a thing for such a long time, and each individual example of offensive line failure kind of has its own story to it, and so I think it's a good idea to go through and look for a pattern. But if you stick through it, if you let me pull your teeth out for two of these segments in the last one, we're going to have some fun with uh, J.J. Watt and mitochondria. But before we eat dessert, we have to eat our vegetables, and that means talking about the offensive line. And listen, things have been pretty bad. And before I go into this, I want to kind of describe the pattern. We're going to just go with the Zimmer era here, and and I just want to recap where we've been at offensive line, because I I think it's super easy to remember that the offensive line was just kind of generically bad for, you know, years and years and years and years and say, ah, well, then they're bad at O-line and kind of end the conversation there. But I think we, if we want to try to add more nuance and actually kind of find a real solution, we have to go through each one and see if we can find more specific patterns. So if we start with 2014, the Khalil, uh, Charlie Johnson, John Sullivan, Brandon Fusco, Phil Lodeholt, that was the intended offensive line. And a lot of those players were coming. I mean, John Sullivan had had a great career with the Vikings. Phil Lodeholt, he was kind of at the end of his career, but he had had also had a great career with the Vikings. These are guys holdovers from the 2009 season. Charlie Johnson had been not bad. Uh, Brandon Fusco had an unbelievable season in 2013. And you had Matt Khalil, who I think 2013 was the year he got pneumonia. And so everybody kind of expected him to come back. We obviously didn't know yet that he how bad he was going to be for the next few years. Um, So there was reason for optimism on that offensive line. I don't think in 2014 offensive line was really at the forefront of anybody's mind, except for Charlie Johnson, who people didn't like very much with, I guess, decent reason. So in 2014, uh, Fusco, Brandon Fusco gets hurt in week two, and Charlie Johnson also was bad. So both of those players uh, are kind of out of the equation. In 2015, we also lose Phil Lodeholt. We try to move Brandon Fusco to the other side. It turns out horribly. Khalil struggles for yet another season, and it's very clear that Khalil isn't going to come back. So in 2016, all the light bulbs went out at the same time. That's the way that I like to describe it. If you install all the light bulbs at the same time in your whole house, and then it's like a week where every single light bulb is all going out at once because you installed them all at the same time. That's kind of what the Vikings dealt with that offensive line because just about every position turned into a catastrophe. So uh, Load Hulk had gotten hurt in 2015 training camp. He tore his Achilles. He was old and he's big. That's a really, really bad sign. And so it was pretty unreasonable to just think, hey, Load Holt's going to come back. But you still want to be able to, you know, house him if he does end up coming back and you get lucky. You want to, you know, be open to that scenario. But they signed Andre Smith, which turns out in hindsight now to be hilarious, to kind of be the backup plan. And they end up having to enact that backup plan. Phil Load Holt is never going to be ready again. He ends up retiring before he plays another down. Uh, And in week four, 
Andre Smith gets hurt, and suddenly they're throwing in TJ Clemmings, who is absolutely not ready. And Andre Smith wasn't looking that good anyways. Also, John Sullivan has these back issues. He ends up not playing it down anymore. Uh, Fusco leaves, Khalil leaves. Suddenly you are dealing with TJ Clemmings, Jeremiah Searles. They bring in Jake Long. It's that disastrous 2016 season, right? Because they lost just about every offensive lineman uh, in some way or another. They also had Mike Harris, who ended up filling in at right guard in uh, 2015 and did really well and then he had uh, his like sudden thing where he couldn't play anymore they go through just this gauntlet of, of hideous luck nothing works out none of these sensible risks end up uh you know coming up vikings and so they have this horrible offensive line season i think 2016 is unlike anything i've ever seen before and that includes the recent struggles of the offensive line 2016 was so much worse so the rebuild begins in 2017 they bring in riley reef they bring in mike rimmers they draft pat Elfline. They have Nick Easton, who had kind of been waiting in the wings. He was traded for in like 2015. Um, and Joe Berger is kind of the bright spot on some of these bad lines, and he ends up coming back as well. And of course, the 2017 line turned out to be at least all right, and that season went really well. But the year after that, 2018, things start going wrong again. They lose uh, Nick Easton. He gets that bulging disc in his neck. Uh, they end up drafting O'Neill, which again, a sensible thing to do. Tackles are important. He was a young tackle. You know, the Vikings still had expensive Mike Remmers made sense to go get your cheap young guy and get, you know, get your second round pick young guy and, and, you know, get cheaper sometime down the road. And he ends up being ready. And so you kick Mike Remmers into right guard. That turns out to be a catastrophe. And uh, Pat Elfline is coming off of the injury he had sustained in that NFC championship game. And so he doesn't come back right away. And it seems like he doesn't come back to form. So you have all these problems along the interior, but Brian O'Neill plays pretty well. And Riley Reef seems to be at least solid. And then in 2019, you have Josh Klein come in to replace Mike Remmers, who they cut to save cap space. Tom Compton, obviously he was terrible. He's out. They draft Garrett Bradbury. They kick Elfline over to left guard now, so he's going from center to left guard. And Elfline does pretty poorly. Josh Klein does all right. Garrett Bradbury has a very volatile season with plenty of bad games and plenty of good games. And it turns out overall that the offensive line effort in 2019 is like fine, but probably needs to be improved upon. So in 2020, they bring in Ezra Cleveland, but otherwise they pretty much bring it back. And they even brag about this. They say, ah, we're bringing back four of our five guys. And the only difference is at left guard where it's Dakota Dozier, which is just not having a left guard. They just at this point don't have a left guard. And and I think the left guard position in 2020 was probably the least they they like did about it, at least when they had like Charlie Johnson or, or uh, Nick Easton or something. They had like a plan. Plan A, Dakota Dozier was the plan A, and he played like he maybe could be a backup in the league, but he looked honestly close to unrosterable throughout the 2020 season. And you have this right guard nightmare where Pat Elfline gets hurt, but he also sucks. And then you have the Drew Samia catastrophe and then Ezra Cleveland playing out of, uh, out of out of position. So it just seems it's like running in a dream where you take three steps and go two inches. And it's just been this like constant whack-a-mole of futility where the Vikings just can't get a reasonable unit out there and they always somehow end up be it by bad luck or bad decision making somehow they always end up having to trot out somebody that absolutely does not belong in an NFL offensive line so why does this keep happening to the Vikings? At a certain point, a, a, a streak of bad luck turns into a rigged game, and I think the Vikings are rigging the game against themselves. Now, I wrote a an article about this at Zone Coverage. If you are more of a reader, you can read that. That is linked in the show notes, but we're going to go over that. 
But first, I want to talk to you about betting. If you go to Bet Online today, you can bet on the NFC North. Right now, the Packers are favored to win the NFC North at minus 200. So if you're a little more bullish on the Vikings than that, maybe you can go place a wager. Or if you are a fan of emotional hedging, you can bet on somebody else. Either way, head on over to betonline.ag. That is your online sportsbook expert. They have everything covered, not only NFL futures, but NBA, college basketball, NHL, awards, TV shows, reality shows, whatever you want, even weird props or whatever. BetOnline has you covered for all of the news, scores, and odds, and it's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Just go on your mobile device or on your computer, sign up, and on your first deposit, make sure you enter the promo code Locked On. That gets you a 50% welcome bonus. That means that for every $100 you deposit as part of that first deposit, you get 50 free dollars to play with at BetOnline with promo code Locked On. your online sportsbook experts. Hey, so you guys might have seen all of the stuff uh, about uh, Tiger Woods on Tuesday and the car accident he got in. It seems like he's uh, at least like stable. He's going to be okay, and it's just a matter of how his leg heals and all of that. If you want a little bit better coverage of that, if you're looking for something that keeps up with the daily headlines and all that, head on over to Locked On Today with Peter Bukowski, where they're handling that whole thing today. Make sure you go give that a listen. But for us, we're going to stick to the Vikings here. So the Vikings have this big offensive line problem, and and I guess I, I want to lay out my theory for why it's happening and essentially what the critique actually is. I struggle with just saying, ah, the Vikings are just bad at scouting offensive linemen. That could be true, but I don't know what the scouting reports were, what their expectations were, and then if those expectations were able to be followed through on or like kind of what problem makes it so that they are so bad at offensive linemen. Um, and, and I wanted to kind of see where, like, I think there's a philosophical issue that makes it impossible for the Vikings to do what they try to do at offensive line. What they try to do at offensive line, they have this, this philosophy about athleticism. They want above average athletes. This goes for every position. And that, I think, it works out, especially in uh, proactive positions. I have this dichotomy in my head about different positions. There are proactive and reactive positions. Proactive positions are creators, right? That's running back. That's uh, wide receiver. That's quarterback. That's defensive end. That's guys who, uh, their job before the snap is to make something happen. And then there are reactive positions, preventers, people whose job before the snap is to prevent the guy across from you from doing that thing. That's offensive line. That's cornerback. So I think of offensive line as a a reactive position with proactive positions. Yeah, get me a freakish athlete at defensive end that can win with their athleticism sometimes. And, you know, in the meantime, they learn technique. And then once they get technique, they're super scary. That's awesome. And I think that works out great beyond just the Vikings. But with a reactive position, if you aren't good yet, but you are athletic, you can still get absolutely dusted by somebody who knows their technique, and that can be really, really catastrophic. That's why guys like Drew Samia just don't get on the field a rookie year. Not that you would expect a fourth round or two, but that's why. That's why Ezra Cleveland probably shouldn't have been on the field yet, but they kind of had no choice because Samia was a disaster, and then he went on COVID. Uh, Elfline was hurt, and he ended up just getting released, and they kind of didn't have it. They was either that or go with Brett Jones, who the Vikings definitely don't think is a scheme fit, or Oli Uda, who I don't think translates to guard at all. So they had all these terrible options they had to throw him in before he was ready, and his debut game was a disaster. 
But if you can develop these guys, if you do get the luxury of having somebody kind of stay there and have this nice, nurturing, stable environment to develop in and to learn techniques and learn from their mistakes, either in practice or with the, you know, the Colton Miller route where you have a rough rookie season, you learn from those mistakes and you kind of put it together over time, which the Raiders have kind of had that his season over in, uh, in Las Vegas was pretty good this year. And if you can do that, you get these athletic prospects that then get technique down, you have a good player. So the Vikings try to go for that, right? They go for, let's get an athlete who maybe has some flaws on tape and we're going to try to fix those and try to basically get some value that way. If we can fix those, we can get a first round prospect at a second round price. That's kind of what they think they're getting in Ezra Cleveland. And that is, is the philosophy. I don't think there's anything wrong with that in a vacuum, but you have to put some love into that development. The Vikings don't. The Vikings seem to do everything. Like they're just hell-bent on doing everything in their power to make everything as difficult for offensive linemen as possible. And it's not so much a schematic critique because I think the bootleg scheme is really good, especially for linemen that struggle in pass pro. It's more of a kind of team building and, and roster decision-making critique. For one, they swap these guys all over the line, all the time. You have Mike Remmers, who is clearly good at tackle, moving into guard, it's a disaster. You have Pat Elfline go from being uh, an oak, at least okay for a rookie center, and then he moves to left guard after center goes pretty bad in 2018. He moves to left guard, that goes bad. He goes to right guard, that goes even worse. And, you know, three position switches later, you're learning so many new things all the time that you can't focus on fixing your mistakes. The same thing is going to happen with Ezra Cleveland here. He's a left tackle playing at right guard, and now you're in this really, really awkward spot where you either have to move him back to left tackle, and now it's been a year, so he has a year of rust to knock off, or keep him at right guard and hope that what was unnatural becomes natural before he plays so poorly that you have no choice but to bench and replace him. And by the way, that clock is ticking. You have to bench and replace these Dakota Dozier-type guys, these Mike Remmers-type guys, and then suddenly, because they're playing so poorly and you have to put the next guy in, or if they get hurt, you have to put the next guy in. Then players who aren't ready are now going in, not ready, confused, not knowing the calls, not knowing their techniques, and they get totally dusted. And the only thing they can do is develop bad habits to try to survive. And now you're that much further back in the development. So there's two things there for those keeping track at home so far. There is the position switching, which sets development back, and the fact that they always need immediate help. They are not bringing these developmental linemen into environments where they get to be the developmental lineman that they're supposed to be. Drew Samia did not get to just quietly develop and hope you come along and hope he doesn't. I don't know if he would have, but certainly having to start him in week two of his second year as a raw prospect like that didn't help. Ezra Cleveland, a lot of people thought he probably should sit on the bench. Instead, he's got to learn a new side, a new position, transition to the NFL. Oh, and by the way, you're playing by week six. So I don't think right now Ezra Cleveland has much of a chance to be successful unless they kind of get their head out of their butts and put him in a situation where he can be successful. This is much more a coaching critique. Ezra Cleveland was a fine prospect. Pat Elfline was a very exciting prospect. I loved Elfline as a prospect at Ohio State. He played uh, a lot of guard, played center, won the Remington Award, seemed versatile, seemed to be able to work out, seemed able to do that position switching. And I think the way the Vikings have handled that he just doesn't have the chance to come along the way that he is supposed to. And add to this, and this is, I guess, my third thing, that they don't have a staff that is really built to develop raw athletic developmental linemen. They don't really have people built to 
make these projects successful. Rick Dennison is the offensive line coach, but he's also the run game coordinator, and his reputation is more as a schemer than as like a developer of talent. In fact, a lot of the offensive lines that he had uh, during his time, you know, every which way with Gary Kubiak, a lot of those were really much maligned units, but it was all about scheme. He's the run game guy, and I think he's fine at that for whatever that's worth, but he's not a developer. You have to have a developer. So who is the developer of offensive line on the Minnesota Vikings? Is it Phil Rauscher, the assistant line coach? Andrew Janoko? Was Kubiak doing it himself? Nobody was. They were all just kind of sitting there left to flounder with this impossibly hard task when they're already overwhelmed by transitioning to the NFL, a thing that takes time and is crazy hard no matter how good you are in college, and they're just putting, like, shoveling way more and more and more on these offensive linemen's plates, and they don't have a setup to actually support them through that. This is where offensive linemen go to die, and it's because the Vikings are not set up to do it well. Maybe that's why I always want a free agent guard every offseason. I'm like, yeah, free agency is a better place to go for a guard. Because I know that if you draft another guard this year, unless you're getting somebody that's like a blue chip prospect, unless you get this year's Quentin Nelson, which those guys only come come along once a decade anyways, I know we're going to do this whole stupid dance again where we get really excited about someone's like potential and then suddenly they're playing center when they didn't have to because somebody got hurt and we decided that the best idea was to bring in the right tackle prospect and make him play center and then he sucks and he's ruined forever because we don't have the, the the infrastructure to pull them out of that rut. That is the problem with the offensive line. But I've crowed enough on this, and we're going to do something a little bit more fun for the rest of the show. We're going to talk about J.J. Watt. And I also want to talk to you about the best tasting protein bar ever. Built Bar is here with 18 amazing flavors like cookies and cream, mint brownie, banana bread, which is sneaky good, peanut butter. Uh, all of the Locked On hosts argued for all of Tuesday in uh, a, a Twitter group DM about which Built Bar was the best. And I, I gotta say, I said banana bread. Nobody disagreed. Everybody argued over peanut butter brownie and all that stuff. Nobody disagreed with, with banana bread. It's delicious. And it's high in protein, high in fiber, low calorie, low sugar. It's even keto friendly. And it's perfect if you're trying to lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. So if you want to get in on that, go to BuiltBar.com. Use promo code Locked On. You get 20% off of your next order. That's promo code Locked On for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. Now, listen, we didn't get into any draft stuff today by chance, but if you're really thirsting for draft content, head on over to the Locked On NFL podcast. On Wednesdays, Tony and James are joined by a Locked On draft expert to talk about all the big prospects. Who is going to be there at 14? Who are the guards? Who are the defensive tackles? Are those classes worth anything? Who's in the second round that's worth trading up for? All of the questions that I get all the time for Twitter Tuesday, and I will say I'm saving your draft questions for a draft mailbag when it's closer to that season, but maybe you get some answers over on the Locked On NFL podcast, wherever you find your podcasts. So let's shift gears here. We'll go from the offensive line to the defensive line and something a little fun. So obviously JJ Watt, he is currently a free agent. He's been released by the Houston Texans and he has been posting wildly. My personal opinion is that there is basically never anything of value that can be discerned, gleaned from, from a player's social media. Even Stefan Diggs posted that the way that he posted for like three years. So I don't think that's really like vindicating for social media being an informative uh, place to get speculation on your favorite players. But let's be irresponsible. Let's have a little fun. So J.J. Watt has tweeted a whole bunch of random things and people are trying to piece it together like with, OK, where is he going? He can sign with somebody right now. He's a street free agent. He has uh, been released. He, he's an unemployed guy that can just go play for whoever he wants. Um, and so he is, I think, just messing with people. But 
he tweeted on Tuesday, mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell, which if you are not familiar with the meme, might mean something to you. So I asked the listeners to uh, give me, I asked you guys on Twitter to give me your best conspiracies for why that tweet means that he is coming to the Minnesota Vikings, and you guys did not disappoint. You had some absolutely fantastic stuff, and I'm going to read some off because I am just so charmed by all of it. Uh, The first one I'm going to read off came from Kyle Slaby, who did an acronym. Mike is the only coach, honestly, original, and it has to be an N, demands real (laughs) improvement action uh that got away from you a little bit but that would be uh, pretty good the problem is it could go for any mike could be mike mccarthy could be going to the cowboys too uh doyle mcpoyle who is a cowboys fan says mitochondria have ribosomes ribosome rhymes with dome the vikings are the only team in the league to play in a dome not gonna fact check that sounds good uh seems obvious yep cool as long as you don't look up where anybody else plays and and we don't fact check the thing about the dome yeah i don't see any problem with that logic uh big tony says pretty sure mitochondria is a northern suburb of the twin cities uh vikings theorist who in this particular context i'm expecting a lot from you based on that name uh said mayo clinic is one of the top cellular research hospitals in the world i love that i think that might be my favorite one here so you didn't disappoint uh forrester says that tweet is big time dork stuff Kirk Cousins is probably the biggest dork on the planet. I do think they would probably get along if only on like Midwestern stuff and like uh, reminiscing about like Big Ten things. Uh, Yeah, I'm sure. Hunter Martin said mitochondria produces energy. Most of Minnesota's energy comes from coal. Coal is blue collar. JJ is blue collar. JJ to the Vikes. That's pretty good, although it also probably... Uh, works for like any rust belt uh, coal like that could go for any of the Ohio teams it could go for Pittsburgh where his brother's playing all that stuff so I don't know if that one really narrows it down but I like where your head's at uh, Rick Galbraith said haven't you ever heard of little red mitochondria by Prince Shefty might as well confirm it now I don't see any problems with that logic yep again I you are not allowed to fact check that uh, Akshath said mitochondria cell human ache man Joe Buck disgusting act vikings i see no problems with that train of logic that all totally makes sense to me uh and the last one came from tanishka who said mitochondria leads to power power leads to strength strength leads to domination this is basically the sith code uh domination leads to barbarians and vikings are barbarians tanishka you did not listen to my vikings weren't really that barbaric except for the first century but for most of their existence as a civilization they weren't that barbaric that was an episode i did last off season if you want to go check that out i did like some legit viking history uh as is appropriate with our our team favorite stupid purple team's namesake um so okay all very fun right i don't think jj watt is coming to the vikings um i don't think that has anything to do with like his uh like oh it needs to be a contender and the vikings aren't a contender i've seen a lot of people say that um i I think the vikings have as good a chance it's like he won't go to like a rebuilding team right but the vikings aren't a rebuilding team and i don't think anybody in the actual nfl sees them as a team that's just going to be seven and nine again like by default like i think a lot of fans do but i think a lot of fans just look at every nfl team and think ah they'll just do what they did last year that's just kind of a thing in the offseason there's all this inertia whatever you did last year is what you're going to be projected to do this year it even shows up in betting markets and stuff even if there's like a lot of reason to believe one way or another but every hint coming out of the vikings every bit of messaging everything that they have said points to them trying to be as competitive as they possibly can in 2021 so if you're a ring chaser yeah sure that uh, i think that that would be fine if the vikings could be up in the bidding war 
And I think they could. Right now, PFF has J.J. Watt making about $12.5 million a year. You could move money around. You could make room for that kind of free agent. We did a lot of cap exercises last week, uh, and, and we did a lot of things where we could you know, bring in crazy people. I brought in Taylor Moten for $17 million a year. Uh, of course, that was also a crazy situation where I cut everybody on the roster and all that. But uh, if you wanted to, you could. Uh, and it's a matter of, do the Vikings want to? And I just don't think they want to very much. J.J. Uh, Watt has played fine. He played a full season last year. That's a big deal for him because he had all these injury issues. He didn't have a down year or anything. He's still the wrecking ball he always is. Um, maybe not the like defensive player of the year, three years running thing, but that's not exactly a standard that you should hold somebody to. And they can still absolutely be worth $12.5 million if you do bring him in. But he's 32. And with defensive linemen, this kind of thing comes in... Uh, kind of out of nowhere. So are you, are you paying for what you think you're getting or are you paying for what he has already done for somebody else? And if you think you're getting the identical clone of what he's already done for somebody else, and I don't think you'd be entirely wrong to do so, then sure, go for it. But I think there is a legit risk that age catches up with them at some point over the course of a contract that you would sign J.J. Watt to. Not to mention, I think the very real risk that he doesn't stay as healthy as he stayed last year and all that stuff, and the incredible bidding market he's going to have just on name alone makes it seem like the value in this particular signing isn't there. And this is when I was talking on Monday about letting the dumb teams go make the dumb deals. This is one of those deals that I think could work out for somebody if they want to pay a ton of money for J.J. Watt. I don't think it's going to not work out for them. But I think it's something that I'm much more comfortable letting somebody else do and hoping that my favorite Viking team is in on somebody else along the defensive line. In our simulations, we went for like Romeo Aquara. I think that would be a much more interesting, a, a very sensible option, would cost about half as much. If you want to go, uh, you could go for like Alden Smith for a little cheaper if you wanted to go with like the kind of stately veteran that still definitely has something in the tank and he would be a lot cheaper. I, I think... Whatever you're looking for on the defensive line, it doesn't seem to me like J.J. Watt is the best option for any of that, or at the very least, that's less true for the Vikings than it is for other teams, and therefore, other teams should probably be a little bit more aggressive than the Vikings should on this one. Personally, I'm out of the bidding sweepstakes. Tomorrow on the show, we're going to keep talking about stuff. Maybe I'll talk about some free agent cards, some guys I want the Vikings to get in on. Senio Calamente was released on Tuesday from the Houston Texans. He's an interesting name. Uh, it sounds like they're not in on Nick Easton. Maybe we'll do a little bit of a roundup on that or something like that. We'll see what comes. I hope you join me for that. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL. Shows on Twitter at LockedOnVikings. And I'll see you all tomorrow. And as always, Skull.